Yes, we worship the Lord for who he is because he's a perfect, righteous God. Glory, glory is in all his ways. And we get the opportunity to worship him. If you have a copy of God's word, we're going to continue our study in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12. Romans chapter 7. Looking at verses 7 through 12. Um, if you're not really familiar with the Bible, Romans is found in the New Testament. It's in the second part of the Bible. And also is found after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and after Acts, you'll find the book of Romans. Romans was written by a guy named Apostle Paul. He was one of the men that God has called to faith and has used to better write many books of the Bible. So it tells us in verse 7 in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Now, uh, if anyone need a Bible, uh, we have plenty of Bibles here. It's, if, if you don't have one, it's a gift from us to you. You can have it. Um, we have some. And uh, just raise your hand. we get someone to bring a Bible to you. Um, like you got a Bible in your hand. Uh, but anybody else need a Bible, um, let, me, let me know and get a Bible to you. It tells us in Romans chapter 7, verse starting at verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known sin what it is. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Verse 8. But sin... Ceasing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when, when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, excuse me, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Um, some of you all that might feel like, what is going on in this text? You might feel confused right now. What is this all this talking about? It's okay. By God's grace, we're going to walk through this together by his spirit. And maybe the Lord bring clarity to these, uh, to what the text is building to us today. So um, let me pray um, for this message and also um, pray for this word to fall on fertile ground, even on my own heart as well, because I need this message just as much as you need this message. I need it as well. Father God, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this great opportunity, Lord, to be able to be back in the house of the Lord, to be able to be with your people, to be able to worship you, Lord, for who you are, because of who you are. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to be with us at this time. Let me preach your word, Lord, faithfully, and fear and trembling, as our brother Jerry would say often. Let me preach your word faithfully, Lord, here today. Uh, help me, Lord. I am weak, and I need your help. Um, so, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to help us, Lord, as we hear your word. Um, all of us, Lord, are dealing with certain things in our lives right now. And uh, a, lot of time, a lot of time, these things we're dealing with, Lord, it, it, it distracts us, Lord, from keeping our eyes on you. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to help us, Lord, so we can keep our eyes fixed on you. Bring our hearts near to you at this time so we can hear your word. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. As we walk through this word, and for me, I just don't want to preach, just preach this and just use a lot of big terms to tell you the history of this and not care for God's people well. For those that believe in Christ, you are part of Christ's body. You're his sheep. And Christ is the ultimate shepherd, but he has called me to be an under-shepherd. For me to care for his sheep that are before me. And so I want to be able to walk you through this word. I don't want to preach this word just for me to sound good. I don't want to preach this word because of uh, for someone else to listen to this word uh, online to be able to say, wow, he preached a great message. I want to preach this message faithfully that for those that are in front of me, that are here, even myself, for all of us can take a hold of God's word and nurture perform or nurture on God's word. I want to be able to preach this word within the context that I'm in right now. I'm not in New York. I'm not in California. I'm in Palm Bluff on the west side of town. And I want to be able to preach this word that God has given to be able to make it plain what God has given unto his word for his people to be able to hear his word and to be able to respond to his word. So what is the text getting at to here this morning? Well, we know Paul was writing this book uh, to, the, to the church in Rome. That's why the book is called Romans. It was a church, a body of believers in, in, in Rome. Rome was one of the strongest empires at this particular time. So Paul is writing to the church to encourage them on what does it mean not to be ashamed of the faith. Paul said he's not ashamed that he's going to come to them one day. So he don't want them to be ashamed of the faith. But he want to make sure that they know what the faith is. They did know because they believed, but he want to remind them of what is truly in the faith. Some of y'all might have been baptized since you was five years old, seven years old, two years old. I don't know when you profess Christ. Whenever you profess Christ, you got baptized. Some, some very similar to a lot of people in Rome. A lot of them professed Christ and they were baptized. But a lot of them forgot about the gospel. They forgot who saved them. They forgot who Jesus was. So Paul reminded them of the gospel, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has saved them from. They all have sin, that the Jews guilty of sin, the Gentiles guilty of sin, that everyone is guilty of sin. That everyone has fell short of the glory of God. And everyone needs a savior. So they said the wages of sin is dealt. We talked about in Romans 6, but in Romans 3, we talked about for all have sinned. And no matter how good you look in this morning in this room, we all have sinned before God. We all need a savior before need a savior. So Paul brings this out. Since we need a savior and God has saved us, we don't have anything to boast about, do we? Because we couldn't save ourselves. By God saving us, is that it's a gift that He gave to us. So now we should be able to walk in a way that's honoring to Him. And when God saved us, I mentioned this at the funeral home, is that um, yesterday, um, as somebody get a rental car, you got to eventually take that nice rental car back. Really nice leather seats, all the amenities, the Bluetooth, and the TVs, and all this other stuff. And a rental car, eventually, you got to take it back. It's a little bit different from salvation. Salvation, which is better than a rental car, is something that God doesn't take back from us. 
It's something that he gives to us and we're assured in him forevermore. When God saves us, he keeps us. And that's what Paul gets in here in this text. All throughout Romans, he reminds that we are assured in Christ. If you're going through depression, if you're going through anxiety, you're going through a heartache, you're going through pain, all of these things you're going through, none of these things can separate you from the love of God. And we're going to learn about this in Romans 8. So Paul is getting there. But before, before Paul continued to work through this, Paul comes to this place then is that since we're saved by grace, some people in the church feel like, well, since we're saved by grace, we can go ahead and live how we want to live. We say by God, hey, he saved us. So we can go turn up. We can go do this. Smoke that gas, some of y'all would say. We can go do all these things because God saved us. We can cut somebody out because God saved us. We can say certain things mean to our spouse because God saved us. We can get out of No, if you continue doing those things, it'll let you know that God hasn't even saved you. But if God truly saved you, as you do these things, you're fighting through your flesh. I messed up today. You're going to the Lord for forgiveness. You repent it. Truly repent it. You turn to Jesus. So Paul now talks about the law today. Okay, since we're about grace then, you know, well, what do we do with the law? As I was thinking through this, I read into this article, listen to this article, it talks about the NFL the CTE protocols, when people get concussions. Now, a lot of people have gotten concussions and got hurt through playing football. And um, a guy named Junior Sayas, I think, uh, out of San Diego, I think they studied his brain um, after his death, and they saw the trauma that has happened to him when he was playing football. Listen to this article. It said, the dangers of professional football is a hot topic. Studies have found high rates of concussion, traumatic brain injuries, and serious brain disorder called chronic tra uh, traumatic, and I'm not in the medical field, so I'm going to skip that word. Let's just say CTE in former players. These injuries can have terribly deliberating effects. For the 2017-2018 football season, the NFL changed certain rules to make play safer. But how effective have the rule changes been? And what are the implications for children, teenagers, and the college students who plays football? So a lot of people get hurt playing football. A lot of trauma comes from playing football. Football, as I read this and describe it, football sounds like a terrible sport, correct? And after I thought describe football, it sounds like Preston, you don't like football because of the trauma that it brings. Football brings a lot of trauma. This past year, the young man for the Buffalo Bills was on the field. And um, I think he was unconscious for some time and playing football. So football is a very dangerous sport. But does that mean I don't like football? I still like football, but I also want to recognize it's a dangerous sport. I like when people catch touchdowns. I like when a quarterback like Tom Brady get in the pocket. When he won the, uh, the uh, seven Super Bowls uh, with the Patriots. Um, and I think he'll come out of retirement and win another one. But So I love NFL. I, won, I love NFL. I love football. Better than the Vikings. I, I understand why some people don't like, you know, 
the Vikings and things of that nature and the other team. I understand why you don't like football when you don't have any Super Bowls. But for the most part, and um, but in the most part, it seemed like you might not like football, but I love football. I like football. I think this relates to our message today. Even though we have said so many things, Miss Kathy prayed earlier about the law. The law can't save us. Only Christ can save us. We can feel like, well, let's just throw the law away. We don't need the law then. Because we know the law right here, right here is that we, we're, we're um, now they say, well, we're not under this law. We're under grace. So we don't need the law anymore. That's how some may feel. But Paul explained to us, though, is that even though the law doesn't say the law is still good, even though the NFL might bring trauma and the football game might be in trauma, it's still going to be a fun sport. Uh, I'm taking um, high blood pressure medicine. And even though uh, high blood pressure medicine has side effects, it also has some benefits. Um, even though certain medications might have side effects, might have benefits, doesn't mean I need to just throw the medication away. No. And the same way with the law. The law is good for us. Even though the law doesn't save, it's good for us. That don't mean we throw the law away. And that's what Paul is going to get at here. Because these people in the Roman church now, they're probably getting at to the point is that, hey, hey, Paul don't like the law. He doesn't like the law. Because if you don't like the law, that means you don't like Moses. If you don't like the law, you don't like the Old Testament people that have, God has used that have presented the law in the Old Testament. Hey, Paul doesn't like the law. He's just talking about grace. Can people in the church can be saying that about Paul is saying that Moses we should listen to. This is serious. Because that was a couple of things that brought Jesus to his grave. You remember? They were saying Jesus right here, he's not holding to the law. He's not keeping the law. Also with Stephen. They would say Stephen is, is mocking the law. And he was stoned to death. A lot of the death that happened throughout the New Testament scriptures is related to the law. So now Paul is already knowing in the church that these people are thinking that Paul is saying the same thing. Paul is saying get rid of the law. And Jesus was never saying that. Stephen was never saying that. So Paul is already knowing. Paul has been in many churches in the past. Paul knows what can happen right now if people are misunderstanding him of the law. So what does Paul do here? Paul goes in, now he explains to them of, okay, don't stone me now. Listen to me. Let me tell you that I do believe the law is good. And he's going to give us six things why the law is good. Let's jump to the first one for the time we have. The first thing you hear about six reasons why the law is good. The law is not bad for us. That's why it's good. It's not bad for us. Look in verse 7 8. What then shall we say? The law is sin by no means. What then shall we say? Paul uses the question and answer format to relate to these Jews and Gentiles. 
Because many people within the church would be struggling to understand how to deal with the law. But Paul comes and said right here that the law is not sin. Sin means the transgression of the law of God. Sin means rebellion against God. So Paul is saying is that the law is not rebellion against God. The law is not against God. The law is actually not sin. The law is honoring to God. The law is the essence of God. The law gives us an earthly view into God's heart. You want to see God's heart? Look at the Ten Commandments. They have this thing in Little Rock at Build-A-Bear. When you're building a bear, you actually can put a actual um, a heart or, or whatever you want to put inside the stuffed bear. Whatever you want to put inside of it, you can put inside of it. You can see very similar uh, with um, Trinity. They have so many kids. With Trinity, um, when Lena got an ultrasound, they put um, Trinity heartbeat inside of a, was it a dinosaur? A dinosaur. And you can push the, the dinosaur heart and it was actually Trinity heartbeat. And, and so if you open it up, you better see the heart of it. Well, in a similar way, if you open up God's heart, you will see the Ten Commandments. You see a righteous God. You see a God that doesn't put anything else before himself. You see a God that sees himself as glorious. You see a God of loving his neighbor. You see all of these things within the heart of God. And so these same Ten Commandments can be summed up into two commandments. Love God and love neighbor. It tells us in Matthew 22, 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment, commandment, commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And it's second like it, like it. It's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, depending on the law and the prophets. So the first four Ten Commandments, the first four and the Ten Commandments, is don't use no other name before him, right? Honor the Sabbath. Don't make any graven images. So all the first four deals with our relationship with God. The first commandment deals with our relationship with God. The last six commandments deal with our relationship with each other. You should not commit adultery. Uh, you should not steal. You should not covet. All those deal with how we deal with each other. So the last six commandments deal with loving neighbor. The first four commandments deal with loving God. So within the Ten Commandments right there, it all is summed up in God's moral law. So the law is not sin. The law lets us see God's heart. It's not sin. So the first thing right here is that the law is not sin. Number two, the law brought out the hidden desires of our heart. Look at verse eight. But sin is an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covenants. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. The law not only reveals our sins, it also shows us how more we want to sin. Once the law taught us that covet 
Unless it's wrong, we then by nature go even further to break the commandment. Just like the water fountain, right? Somebody said, well, don't push the water fountain button so hard. By nature, I want to see what the water fountain do if I push it hard. Even at work, your boss might have some instructions and everything. Say, hey, don't do these certain things. And the back of your head and say, what if I just do this? What does this come from? This comes from the fallen nature of man. Even in the Ten Commandments, it reveals how deep-rooted sin is in our heart. The law shows us how much corrupt is the heart. One person said this about covenants becomes cupiscence is the same Greek word as covenants and referred to the sinful desire sin was dead. It goes on and said, sin was comparatively dormant until this prohibition and the law of God actually made it more attractive to a rebellious nation. It's talking about like in the body, you know like cancer cells is like dormanted in the body and they say certain things can trigger those cells to grow. And the law the same way, the law of the Ten Commandments, it revealed what's already in the heart. Well, she made me mad. No, God used her to reveal the anger that was already in you. We can't blame people for our own sins. We are held accountable for our sins. And so we see here that the law of God here it shows us a mirror of our own heart. The law revealed the desires that are hidden. The things that I might not be able to see in my own heart. Things you might not be able to see in your own heart. When the Bible said, do not covet, now they hit me and I start thinking about it. Huh. The Maya just got a brand new Apple Watch. And I'm looking at her Apple Watch and I'm staring at it. And now when I said, the Bible said, do not covet, now it's exposed now my heart. Then now I really want that watch. So the law of God reveals these things. So the law shows us that we don't break the law, but we desire to continually break the law. Example, have you ever washed your face with your soap and hand? Got some soap, wash your face. Have you ever done that before? You feel pretty good, feel pretty clean. Wash my face. But you turn around and you grab a towel and put soap on the towel and you wash your face with a white towel. And you look at the white towel after washing your face. You look on the towel, you see, huh, I got dirt on this towel. A towel was able to reveal what was hidden. You couldn't see it in your hand. You felt like you were clean. But a towel was able to reveal there was dirt still on your face. The dirt was even there. Even when you struggled with your hand, dirt was still there. But you didn't understand how much dirt penetrated your skin until you used a towel. In a very similar way, the law already revealed sin is there, but the law even goes further to reveal how deep the sin had penetrated the heart. So we might feel like, yeah, I did wrong. But when you start looking at the law, it shows us how deep and everything rooted while we did things wrong. So the law is good because it shows how deep 
sin has penetrated the heart and his desires. So it's good for us. We want to know who we are, don't we? Don't you want to know who you are? So if God is good, let us see who we are. Third thing I thought, push through. The law let us see what we aren't as good. The law let us see that we aren't as good as we think we are. Look in verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. After we realize that the law is good for showing our desires, we also now can see that we aren't as good as we thought we were. We really believe that we were once alive apart from the law. This is what Paul believed. But when the law showed him his heart, he then saw that he was spiritually dead. But he actually already was spiritually dead. But he didn't know it until he met the law. Y'all met some people think like, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than this person right here at work. I'm better than this person right here on the basketball team, on the football team. The law humbles us to let us see that we're no better than others. We all in this room have our areas. We're just better than covering up our stuff than other people. We know how to look good on the outside better than others. But family, we all in this room have areas in our lives that is not pointed toward Jesus. We have so many Muslim and Buddhist and atheist friends. Many people that actually think they are really good people because they do good things. We even got a lot of people coming to church that think they are really good people because they do good things. Family, good things doesn't save us. Only Jesus can save us. Amen. But I say this right here, though, is that don't be amazed by things that might look good on the outside because it could be coming from a corrupt heart. And the law reveals that. The law reveals our motives and why we do what we do. Why did you help that person? When you start looking at the law and you're trying to see, I helped that person. Because at that moment, I want the people to be able to recognize me and what I do. I don't get recognized a lot in life. So I'm going to do this right here so somebody can find and recognize what I did. Have you been there before? Oh, I'm the only one. Never mind, y'all the righteous folks. But I guess I'm the only one in the room. But for the most part, I have done things for myself to get recognition. I have done things to get pat on the back. And I would say, oh yeah, this is for Jesus. It wasn't for Jesus. It was for Christian. The law reveals that to us. The fifth thing here. When we jump down. The law shows that we need a savior. Another good reason for the law. Paul is explaining to the people. The very commandment that promised his life proved to be death to me. By keeping the law perfectly, one can receive all the benefits of keeping the law. Talked about this morning, Genesis 2, 17. One would not die if you kept the law perfectly. We're going to never die. We will live forever. The law promised life for those who can, true, can obey it fully. But it wasn't anyone that kept the law fully but Christ. So the same law that promised life also promised death. 
to the lawbreaker. You don't believe me? Leviticus 18.5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. The next one. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. If you keep the law, you get what? If you keep the law perfectly, what did you get? I can't hear you. You get blessed, you get life. You get life. But we have not kept the law. So what do we get? You get death. The Gentile brought the law on their hearts. The Jews brought the law on the law on the tablet. We all have broken the law. So we all deserve death. So the law revealed to us that we need a savior. The law is good. Because we didn't have the law. God will let us rot in our ways. I know Miss Tina has several grandsons. And if she let them have candy all day, all night, all day, all night, without even saying anything to them, what would eventually happen to their teeth? Right. Yeah. They're right. They get cavities. Is that the same thing, right? Who said cavities? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, Kale. Yeah, right. So, um, you were right. It was right. If you give a child, Mr. Kale, you give a child their own way, they can hurt themselves, can't they? In the same way, the law is there. If God had left it to ourselves, we would never be able to see. And God, if God didn't give us the moral law and give the law, uh, the Ten Commandments, the law on our hearts, we'll just venture on off in more and more wickedness. But God is goodness. He gave us the law to see that, hey, we need a savior. That, that we have done bad things. That shows you that we have sinned against God. So the law does that for us. The law shows that we need to save that because we have not kept the law. Then he goes on to say, verse 11, for sin sees an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me through it, killed me. The flesh through sin kept thinking that it could keep the law. That's how some people still think. I can do this right here to get to God. I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. So the law even said, but God giving us the Ten Commandments, we, at times in our flesh, we thought that we still can keep them to be able to make ourselves self-righteous. One person says this. It said, his sinful nature deceived him into thinking that he could have life through commandments when it actually led to greater sin and guilt. The, the law we cannot keep perfectly. But the law we, it, it turns around and shows us how fallen we are. So by nature and pride. Okay, God gave me 10 commandments. I'm going to keep them. I'm going to keep them. That's just about our nature. Our nature want to say that we still can do it. And that's what happened at the time of Babel, right? They feel like it, their pride was so powerful 
that they thought they could work themselves to God. And they couldn't. In the same way, the law reveals to us and it shows us that we need a savior. That we can't work ourselves to God. We can't do it. Even though the flesh said, says that we can do it, we can keep the law. We can't keep the law. No one can keep the law but Christ. Have you ever said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to sin this particular, I'm not going to sin this way anymore. Flesh will try to convince you that if you do X, Y, and Z, then you can avoid sinning. There's nowhere around it. Only the Spirit of God can keep us from sinning. Amen. We can't do it in of ourselves. We're weak. We're weak. We're limited. We might go pick up a couple chairs, but eventually, if we continue going around this room trying to pick up things, we'll get to this big piano in the back. And I don't know anyone in this room can pick up the piano by themselves. Besides me. But to show you we're limited, family. We are all limited in this room. And we need a saving. The last week the law is good, bad out of time. I see a couple people as though it's covering his eyes. He's a little sleepy. The law is holy, righteous, and good. Last blood, verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is holy. That means Paul is saying this because some may take his word out of context and try to charge Paul is saying he doesn't agree with Moses and the great teachers. Paul finished up and said, no, the law is holy. The law is good for us. The law separates us. The law separates God. Um, from his creation in a way of God being holy and his creation being unholy. So God is holy. God's law is holy. So what he's doing here is he's explaining to them is that I know I'm talking a lot about grace, but the law is actually holy. He's letting you know he cherished the law. Dr. Marlowe Jones says this, Notice that he refers to the law and the commandment. There had been so much discussion as to why he does this. I find myself in agreement with those who say that he uses the variation in order to emphasize his point. He is really speaking about the whole law, the commandment. May well mean the Ten Commandments in particular, the commandment which says, thou shalt not covet. But it's equally true, of course, of all the other commandments. So in fact, he is saying that the law and indeed every part of it, every individual detailed commandment, the law general in particular is holy and just and good. The apostle was obviously very much concerned to say this and to make it abundantly clear. After all, he was a Jew and he had been brought up as a Pharisee. He had spent the whole of his life as a Pharisee and studying the law. Not only that, he has a great burden in his heart, as he tells us in chapter 9, for his fellow countrymen. The last thing he wants to do is offend them or to have any misunderstanding whatsoever with great to the view of the law. The law is the law is the law of God, and therefore it is important that he should make perfectly clear what he really does think about it. 
So Dr. Jones is saying is that the law is holy. And the word law and commandments, it sometimes might be considered precepts from Psalm 19, the rules of the Lord. He have used his name synonymously, that they all mean the same thing. The commandments of the word Lord is the commandments is true. I don't want to butcher that text, but but you have the commandments, you have the law. We're referring to embedded as these Ten Commandments. And sometimes the law can mean other things, the first five books of the Bible. But for the most part, we talk about the law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. And Dr. Jones reminds us that Paul loves the law. He is for the law. He sees the law is good because the law is commandment is holy. Because everybody can say they're on Jesus' side. But the law shows us that we, what side we're truly on. We say we're on Jesus' side, but we keep the thing, we don't keep the things of the law, or we chewing on his side. So the law lets us know it's separate. Who team are you on? So the law is good because it lets us know who team we're on. Just like an athlete saying they're on the team, but they don't know the coach. They don't have the jersey, the right jersey on. They don't know when the practices. They don't know anything about the team. Are they chewing on that team? No. But a person that's on the team, they know the team name, they know the team, they have a jersey, they know the coach. If you're on the team, you know it. So for those that are truly in Christ, they're the ones that are keeping his commandments. Again, you might ask a question like, hey, Chris, and I haven't kept it, so nobody kept it. So who's on Jesus' team? The good thing about it is that Jesus kept the commandments for us. For us that believe in him, he kept the commandments for us. By us being married to him, we ain't got to get no prenup. Was that what y'all call them, prenups? Yeah. <laughs> when the NBA player had these millions of dollars and get married? Yeah. We ain't got to get that. Whatever Jesus have, by him being righteous and holy, by him being righteous and holy, family, we get that as well. We get to be righteous and holy as well. So whatever Jesus has, we have. Whatever Jesus get, we get. We get everything that we have in Jesus. Thank you. So in the same way, even with the law, we are, <coughs> see, one second. We have seen as we kept the law. So God, when we die one day, they're going to look at Miss Tina and God's going to say, well done, my good and faithful Miss Tina. Hey, I've done this. I've done this. All that's nailed to the cross. <clears throat> I'm struggling, y'all. Give me one more moment. One person said, there's no defect in God's law. goes on to say, in other words, he's saying the that this charge should never be professed against me, that I am teaching that the law is evil, the law is sin, because everything I have been saying really asserts to the exact opposite. What he really believes about the law is that it is holy. The law, and he goes on to say, the law is also righteous, which is part of God's nature. The law brings about equity. It doesn't need, it doesn't treat people unfairly. It treats people with grace. The law encourages us to love one another. The law is actually good for us. Amen. That's what Paul gets at. 
And so he stops here and just, he, if you focus on this for a moment, he's going to get back eventually to get with assurance how we're saved in Christ. Even though we struggle at times, we still are saved in Christ. But he want to let the people know that, hey, I love the law. So don't think I don't love the law. A couple applications. Remember that the law is good because it is exposed to our heart. One person said this. Before we came under the teaching of the gospel, some of us were blissfully unaware of death of our sin. Then we began to see something of God's righteous requirement, and our sinfulness became painfully apparent. Now we have become Christians, and life is a continuing revelation of the radical nature of our sin. Every year as I grow in the Lord, I become more aware that though I have been born again, and my sin is covered by Christ's blood, I am in myself thoroughly, disgustingly sinful the more I understand God's law, the more I see my sin as utterly sinful. So I would say is that I encourage you that the raw is good. It exposes who we are. If you want to grow in Christ, look to the ten, look, look to Christ. Look at, look at the Ten Commandments, the moral law, and let's just see who we are. And don't stay there. Let the legion point you right back to Jesus. Second thing, remember now we are led by the Spirit. We, don't, we do the things of the law. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness. If we do those things, you, you, it, it seems that like you kept the law. You see somebody in help, need help, help them. Be kind to people around you. And that's how the law is fulfilled. There's no need of a law as you love others around you. you be gracious to others. Not being selfish, having self-control, gentleness, having self-control, you won't put no items before God. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step of the Spirit. Lastly, for those that are not in Christ, God could let us go straight to hell, but He was so good and kind that He gave us the law. Think about if He never gave us the law. That'd have been scary, right? But he was so good that he gave us the law. If you ever, if you have broken any law, you cannot be for a holy, righteous God. So you must believe in Jesus. So for those in this room that is not believing in Jesus, turn to Jesus today. If you've broken those law, you have not honored God all your life. You need a Savior. And there is a Savior that's in heaven that saves his people. Trust in him. Turn in him, to him today. And for those that are believers, Jesus kept the law for us. Keep your, get, lift your head up to him. Don't beat yourself up. But I messed up and I did. Yes, you repent to him. You turn to him. And you move forward in life. And you don't continue doing the things you used to do. You do the things of Christ. And how can we do it? We can do it together. That's what I love about Christ Redeemer Church. We are family. We live life together. We encourage one another. Not judgmental folks. Well, we might have a couple, but... But all of us not judgmental folks. But we got some people that really love us and kind towards us. And let us be kind to build one another up, to help each other in our walk daily. As we do this, um, as we do this, we can see ourselves being more as the body of Christ. Let us do that here at Christ Redeemer and be an example to people in our community. What does it mean to love one another and build one another up? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us.